Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, CEO of EdSource. The California State University System's handling of sexual and gender misconduct complaints has been under the spotlight for more than a year. It all started after the resignation of Joseph Castro as CSU Chancellor over his alleged mishandling of a Title IX sexual harassment case involving an administrator when Castro was president of Fresno State. The Board of Trustees then ordered an independent law firm to review Title IX practices across the 23 campus system. Now, that report is out. What does it reveal, and what might come of it? Here is this week's Education Beat with host Zadie Stabley. EdSource reporters Ashley A. Smith and Thomas Peel began looking into sexual harassment and misconduct allegations at the California State University way back in February of 2022. Here's Ashley. USA Today ran a story about the former CSU Chancellor Joe Castro and how he had ignored years of sexual misconduct allegations made against one of his administrators, Frank Lamas. Shortly after that report came out, Castro resigned. And then there were other Title IX complaints that began coming out. Title IX is the federal law that prohibits discrimination based on sex in education, including sexual harassment and violence. At San Jose State, there was um, an issue that had been going on um, for a few years where an athletic trainer was accused of touching female athletes. And, um, you know, the president at Sonoma State She resigned last year because um, one of her administrators had also accused her husband of sexual harassment and and there were issues with how she handled those complaints. So there seemed to be a pattern emerging. For Ashley and Thomas and Investigations and Projects Editor Rose Ciotta, it seemed clear EdSource should investigate further. Here's Thomas. If the president at Fresno State was acting improperly in terms of handling Title IX complaints, there's 22 other campuses to look at. I don't think anything happens in the CSU system in a vacuum. So they started requesting records. This is Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. I'm Zadie Stavely. This week, CSU's handling or mishandling of sexual harassment complaints. EdSource couldn't ask for records of all complaints of sexual harassment, because the only way complaints can be made public is if the person was found guilty and disciplined for it. So the team asked for records showing employees disciplined for a Title IX violation over a five-year period, from 2017 to 2022. They found that 89 employees had been disciplined over that five-year period for some type of Title IX complaint. Of those, 10 were managers. And a majority of campuses had no cases where management employees were disciplined. The number of employees disciplined or not disciplined doesn't mean all that much on its own, because we don't know how many complaints there were to begin with. 
although we do now have some more information. A new report ordered by the CSU Board of Trustees and prepared by an independent law firm and a state audit of CSU's handling of Title IX complaints were both made public this month, and both give us at least an estimate of how many total complaints there were. They put a caveat in there that they don't believe their numbers are pinpoint accurate because the record keeping at the individual campuses was so poor, nobody can really tell how many complaints there were. That was the same problem with the audit too. The audit also, um, they were not able to pinpoint an exact number because the data is just, the, the CSU did not do a good job of tracking this. The report from the law firm listed 2,593 reports of sexual harassment and sexual misconduct found system-wide in just the 2021-22 academic year. Meanwhile, the audit found that in a four-year period from 2018 to 2022, the system received 1,251 sexual harassment reports against CSU employees. Those numbers don't match clearly, and it's not clear why. Either way, the numbers are vastly higher than the number of cases disciplined, says Thomas. So there's a huge gap between what CSU put out under the Public Records Act of a total of 89 cases versus the numbers in these reports. Even if they're vague and not accurate, they're still, they claim to have found thousands of instances of cases. It would seem to show that a huge majority of complaints fall by the wayside. For those who were disciplined, that could mean a range of things. Anything from an informal reprimand, meaning it's made orally, to termination. For the most part, there's something in the personnel file. Again, a letter of reprimand, a... um, suspension up to firing. In some cases, the administrations received a type of agreement with the accused called faculty retreat. The person who committed this misconduct may be able to leave to a different position um, and have this misconduct wiped from their records just, just because they agree to leave and go somewhere else. We reached out to CSU for comment and a spokesperson referred us to their public statement following the release of the report. In that statement, the university committed to improving Title IX and other non-discrimination programs. Interim Chancellor Jolene Kester is quoted as saying, the system-wide and university recommendations outlined in this report provide a pathway that moves us from where we have fallen short to a stronger and more vital university system. To bring about meaningful, authentic, and sustained change, the entire Cal State community must walk this path together. We will not squander this opportunity. We will get this right. The CSU's mission and core values demand it, and our community deserves it. The statement also says that CSU has already taken some steps to address concerns. But, quote, there is still significant work to be done to ensure that the CSU's universities are welcoming environments for students, faculty, and staff free of discrimination, harassment, and sexual misconduct. So Ashley, what did the report and audit find overall? So the report and the audit found uh, 
essentially that, that CSU mishandles sexual harassment complaints. And there were a lot of similarities between the two reports. Basically, the chancellor's office and the campuses do a very poor job of tracking complaints and addressing them. Um, I think the state audit was a bit more damning in its assessment because it was very transparent with like how campuses would sometimes just close cases without any explanation or justification. Some employees that they investigated and found had committed sexual harassment. They just were not disciplined or fired. Um, Some cases took a very long time to complete, like well over 100 days. There were multiple instances where a new Title IX coordinator would start working on a campus and then suddenly come across hundreds of reports or complaints with no record of any investigation or follow-up or, you know, in some cases there was missing information, there was missing paperwork. Neither the report or the audit is very specific about what happened at each campus. But the audit does include some examples, says Ashley. There was an example of a male professor who was accused of um, sexual harassment, sexual violence, and stalking. And this was in 2016. And the college determined that he did commit this abuse. The conclusion was someone should give him a disciplinary letter. He never got one in 2016. They didn't do anything. um, So he continued to work. And then five years later, they received new complaints against this professor. And in 2022, that was when they gave him that letter that they had recommended five years earlier. But obviously new allegations came up. Um, And then the other interesting tidbit about that case is the audit said that that professor continues to work on campus um, because he's now part of a uh, early retirement program. And the administration has given him work that doesn't involve students. Thomas, you also looked deeper into a few cases. Um, can you sort of tell us about that and how, you know, what what you found? Sure. At Bakersfield, there was a vice president, uh, David Melendez. He was found to have pornography on his work computer and he resigned. Um, at Chico, there was a high-ranking administrator named Milton Lang who was found to have sexually harassed some women. He was fired. One that we did report on involved a former baseball coach at San Jose State. He was investigated and was going to be disciplined for sexually harassing his team. And he resigned before he could be disciplined. Um, And in that case, he just made so many vulgar sexual comments to the team that, that a coach complained. And then he was able to get a job somewhere else, right? Yeah, he got a job as a vice principal and athletic director at a high school in Northern California. After our report, he was suspended from that position while they looked into how he was hired. And he was later returned to work. And because it's a personnel matter, they wouldn't acknowledge what they found. The coach did, in a brief interview with me later, say he had learned from what happened, which to me implies that he had figured out that the way that he acted toward his baseball team at San Jose State was highly inappropriate. And that situation, by the way, highlights another problem. And that is that because of how poor the data is at CSU, that uh, offenders 
are able to move from place to place, um, campus to campus, or sometimes leave a campus, leave higher ed altogether, go to a different education employer. Um, there's no way to track this behavior. And so there were examples, you know, this, this baseball coach is one where he went to um, a completely different educational setting, but there were cases in, in the audit where a professor would, you know, sexually harass someone um, or engage in some type of inappropriate behavior. And then an allegation would come up. They would transfer from that campus to another campus, maybe an hour away and work there. And then a couple of years later, you would see this same behavior emerging. And, you know, campus B doesn't know what happened at campus A because there's no tracking mechanism of uh, of complaints. And, and that's, I mean, that's a, that's a huge problem. Thomas published several stories about one particular case at Chico State involving a biology professor, David Stachura, who was found to have had an inappropriate sexual affair with a student. CSU policy bans a professor from having a sexual relationship with a student over whom they have any academic involvement. Some of his colleagues had complained they could hear him and the student having sex in his office. Um, it was later revealed that Stachura allegedly threatened to kill two professors who cooperated with the investigation of his affair with the student. And a lecturer in his biology department later came forward and said he had also spoken about committing a mass shooting in the biology department. And he is... Now suspended, Chico State is attempting to get a workplace violence restraining order issued by a judge in Butte County. Um, There was a a great deal of concern on campus after we broke the story. About 800 faculty and students attended an online meeting two days after the story and had a lot of outrage. Satura got very light punishment. He got a third of a semester off without pay. The thing that really got people upset was very shortly after that case concluded, he was named the outstanding professor of that academic year, which is a very prominent award, and it coincided with him being promoted from associate professor to full professor and getting a raise he estimated in his recent testimony of about $10,000 a year. How are students and faculty on all these campuses feeling about all of this, both, you know, what's come out of EdSource's reporting and also what's come out of um, the recent report and an audit? Last year, when all of this really started to emerge, you would hear a lot of outrage, obviously, from faculty and students. Um, I know there were board meetings last year that, um, you know, would watch and there were a lot of students and employees who would tell the board of trustees that they may have been the people who filed complaints or made complaints on behalf of someone that they knew. And so you just heard a lot of outrage and disappointment and anger that they were ignored for a very long time. Um, No one believed them. They were not taken seriously until last year. And I think a lot of that is is still true today. There's a lot of distrust in the CSU community, you know, between students, faculty, and the administration and the presidents. Um, there is a widespread belief that CSU is not protecting students and employees, but the institution itself. 
One issue that the new report highlights is that there's little consistency across CSU campuses when it comes to handling Title IX complaints. There was an overall report about the system, and the law firm also did a report on each of the 23 campuses. And we went in and published some excerpts from those reports, and it really shows that every campus handles Title IX complaints differently. The office has a different title. Sometimes it's people have other job responsibilities besides coordinating the investigation of these cases. Um, The record keeping is different at every campus. The procedure is different at every campus. Um, Some of the reports showed, you know, very sloppy uh, record keeping and tracking of cases. And it showed overall that this is an incredibly disjointed system. And it seems to be very arbitrary that, uh, you know, a student at one campus or one CSU may make a complaint and a student at another CSU makes a very similar complaint. Those two cases would be likely to be handled very differently. There's a lack of consistency throughout the system on how this is done. It seems to beg the question why there isn't more central management and leadership over something that is so critical, you know, as enforcement of harassment laws. You know, the Cozen O'Connor law firm that did the report for CSU, you know, kind of makes it clear that there appears to be a pattern within the cases that a great deal of them are dropped because the victim ends up walking away from the case. Either they're intimidated or they're fed up with the process or it's not moving fast enough or they don't trust the system. Um, which means that the accused, assuming that there is validity to the complaint, gets away with it. And and I just want to uh, clarify something too. When when we talk about you know victims walking away, the audit also mentioned that there were examples of, and, and I'll just I'll just share this one example where um, a student filed a complaint and. During that initial conversation with the Title IX coordinator, they explained that they were graduating soon. And so the actual time from that initial filing of a complaint to an investigator or someone following up with that student took so long that the student did graduate. So when the next Title IX coordinator came along to then follow up on the report, they didn't have a way of reaching the student. And they did not make any effort to reach the student. Ashley, how does CSU compare to other university systems in this in 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 this particular instance, investigating sexual harassment and, and, and gender discrimination complaints? The CSU report is sort of the first of its kind. My understanding is that there has never been any type of comprehensive evaluation of a university's Title IX complaints and policies and practices um, on this level where the main report was 232 pages and then there were separate reports for all 23 campuses. To be clear, back in 2018, there was a state audit of the UC's handling of sexual harassment complaints, but it looked only at three campuses, Berkeley, Davis, and LA. That audit found similar issues on those three campuses. Staff and faculty were disciplined differently and campuses took longer to discipline faculty than staff. Responses differed by campus, and there wasn't a standardized response. But that was, again, only looking at three campuses. 
whereas this audit looks at the entire CSU system, which Ashley says is unprecedented. It's a little difficult to compare something like that to other institutions, but I think we can say that it, there's just a lot of variation across the board. I mean, there's been a lot of cases nationally of Title IX violations. I mean, it, some campuses, you know, I, I, I hear they do this well, but I mean, most of the time we hear it's not going well because those are the stories that make the news. Is there a sense yet of what the response has been or will be from CSU officials, leadership? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the interim chancellor who who is staying on um, until October and the our, our new chancellor select, Mildred Garcia, they both have made statements saying that they, you know, obviously are upset and disappointed with what has been happening across the issue and that changes need to be made and people need to be held accountable. And so, you know, especially the trustees, they've who, who called for the um, law firm to to do this report. Um, I, I think the leadership at this point, you know, a year into this, they've accepted that changes need to happen and that there are some major, major problems. Um, they've already said that they are going to set money aside um, in the next budget, um, which will be soon for addressing um you know, all of these deficiencies and creating and building this new system. Um, they are keeping the law firm, keeping in contact with them and, and continuing to contract with them um, to help fulfill some of those recommendations. Um, it's probably going to take a lot of money. And unfortunately, CSU is facing a $1.5 billion deficit. Um, but they have repeatedly said that they are going to make all of this happen and they have to. What what is the report and the audit? I mean, do they say do they have recommendations for what needs to happen to fix these problems? Yeah, one of the main recommendations is that they need to centralize the system. That there needs to be an independent, separate Title IX office, and they are properly staffed in a way where they have um, uniform policies and they can provide guidance and investigators to the campuses, and then the campuses should also have similar offices that mirror the chancellor's office so that when they receive complaints, they have people who, who can address these complaints in a uniform way um, immediately. They need advocates for the people who file a complaint as well as um, people who are there to, to address the mental health and other resources that students need other than just filing uh, a complaint. There may be a need to contact the police. I mean, there's so many other factors here that just were not being addressed. And that all needs to be organized and, and unfortunately hasn't been. Um, so both of these reports recommend that each campus do that. But ultimately, the responsibility falls on the chancellor's office to make sure that the campuses are doing this and that they are compliant with the law. You can find our series, CSU's Title IX Reckoning, at edsource.org. EdSource will continue reporting on Title IX complaints and how they're handled in California's colleges and universities. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools, a production of EdSource. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Special thanks to our guests, Thomas Peel and Ashley A. Smith, 
to our data reporter, Daniel J. Willis, and our investigations and projects editor, Rose Ciota, who oversaw the Title IX series. Our CEO is Ann Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the Kresge Foundation. I'm Zadie Stavely. Join us next week and subscribe so you won't miss an episode.